Let's start with the Nokar Mountain. You know that? Yeah. Okay. Come on in. Let's start with the Nokar Mountain. So I see... Hey, come on in! Hey, Timmy! How you doing? Hey, hey. Pretty good. You coming in? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how you doing? Great to see you. Sorry. Been too long? Oh, no problem, no problem. <laughs> Can you close the door? Yeah, well, Thank you. Welcome to everybody. I'm happy to see some new faces. So um, we're here to help each other spiritually as well as professionally. Hey, come on in. Um, so if I'm happy to see all these new faces. So we're going to go around the room and introduce ourselves and tell us where you work because we're here to help each other spiritually as well as professionally. And if you see somebody in your field or that is in working in a place that you're interested in, feel free to talk to them after class, okay? And then because we're, we're here for that too. So if we want to start here. There has been some misunderstanding about that previously that we were trying to exclude people and that was never the case. The case was always, there was always a mom's class and I didn't want to step on anybody's toes and attract students from another class and so we just had okay a dad's class that way I wouldn't uh, offend anybody in mom's class uh, but then some people got it twisted and thought that we were excluding people we never wanted to exclude people my name is Thimir Cheda. I'm an attorney at Selman Munson and Lerner. I do intellectual property law, so that's patents, copyrights, and trademarks. I also do uh, a lot of corporate law if you need to help, if you need to set up a business or anything like that, and I'm the guy to talk to. Thank you so much for coming today. I'm really excited to start. I'm sorry about the messed up schedule at the beginning. One of the most important... There's nobody online, but uh, they might come. Uh, usually some of the people that are online are here today. <laughs> uh, one of the most important tools in a politician's toolbox is the message of, it's not your fault. They say that the reason you have a poor quality of life is because of immigrants, poor people, minority groups, other countries sometimes, or the media. Anything other than yourself. Not only politicians use that message, hey, come on in, but marketers use that message as well. It's not your fault if you're unhealthy. Who has the time to eat right and exercise? Buy these diet pills for me, right? It's not your fault you can't find a date. You're a busy person, nobody has time to do that. Download this app that reduces people to pixels. Hey, come on in. Great to see you. Really, uh, not just politicians and marketers, really anyone interested in the art of persuasion understands this tool and makes it a core part of their toolbox. And it's one very sought after skill. That is, how to get somebody to do something that they don't want to do. If you can do that, you are marketable anywhere in any industry. So how does it work? Why is it persuasive and effective? Well, a couple of reasons. We're talking about this idea of it's not your fault. 
first, uh, it means if somebody tells you it's not your fault, it means you don't have to examine your life. And examining your life is very hard. It means you don't have to come to terms with the responsibility of your role making the decisions that led to where you are now. And that's even harder than examining your life. Uh, it builds empathy and trust in another person. If you, if you tell, someone tells you, hey, it's not your fault, uh, you can build a kind of trust and a rapport with that person because they won't, you won't feel like they'll judge you. It encourages openness. That is, you're more likely to share your thoughts and feelings if somebody tells you it's not your fault because you're comfortable in exposing your flaws to somebody without being judged for that. It creates a kind of a safe space for communication between two people. It preserves your ego. If somebody tells you that it's not your fault, you don't have to take that hit to the ego. It can help preserve your self-esteem. It reduces your defensiveness. A lot of times when we talk to strangers, all these marketers and politicians are all strangers. And so there is that initial barrier of, you know, that everybody has their shields up. Uh, what is this person trying to do? If somebody tells you it's not your fault, that helps those shields come down and it encourages communication between people. And being told it's not your fault is easy and it's seductive, right? And it's seductive because it's easy. It makes the world seem easy. And we, hey, come on in. So we like the world to be easy. We like for it to seem easy. The world is extremely complex. And you can tell it's, you know, people like to think that uh, the president is in charge of the country. He has all the powers to do this and that. It's not that easy. He's not in charge of everything, right? But they'll take that responsibility because it makes it easy. Vote for me, I will make everything better because I have the power to do so because I'm president. But you don't know, who knows about what the Constitution says and who knows about separation of powers and it's all very complicated and we don't want the world to be complicated. So when someone tells you it's those people over there that are causing the problems in your life, oh, it's easy to see. They came in, they're willing to work for lower wages, they're taking my jobs, they're the reason I don't have a job. Very easy, very seductive. So, a lot of people decry this victim mentality in the world that we have in, and this is one of the reasons we have it. That is, this is one of the reasons that everybody is a victim, because we're, we all think it's not our fault. And if we're the victim, and if it's not our fault, then we avoid any kind of responsibility. So how do we stop it? We stop it by doing the opposite. What's the opposite? The opposite is self-ownership. Uh, self-ownership refers to your ability to take control of your life, to make empowered decisions, and take responsibility for your personal growth and well-being. And so, what are some of the tools that 
we can use to, to resist this seduction that other people are trying to control us with. Hey, come on in. Hey, come on in. Hey, come in. Great to see you. Thanks for coming today. Today we're talking about how seductive it is when people tell you it's not your fault. This is the core tool in a politician's and marketer's toolbox. And it's very seductive when somebody tells you it's not your fault. So we went over uh, how people try to get you to do what they want you to do instead of what you want to do. And now we're going to go over some ways to combat that. One is try to take more personal responsibility over your life. That is, remember that you have control over your thoughts, your actions, and your speech. And that you are accountable for the outcomes in, in your life. The next is self-empowerment. That is, believing you have agency. This is a big one for our kids, to teach our kids, because they don't have agency. Uh, but as they get older, they start to, they just, they're in that position where they remember they don't have any agency and they just continue that. Whereas as they get older, they get more and more agency over their lives and we need to give them that agency. Hey, come on in. Hi. Yeah, of course. Welcome. So, does anybody have an example of that, where their kids, their kids re didn't realize that they had agency that they did, did have? I don't understand what do you mean by agency. So agency means that you are in control of the things that you can do, and it sounds silly. You might think, hey. I'm always in control of the things I can do, but it's not silly. No, right. Some people don't have agency, like little kids. They're, we're telling little kids what to do all the time, their whole life. And they remember that, and then when it's time for them to take control of their life, they don't. Because we're used to do, they're used to us doing stuff for them and telling them where to go and what to do and what to wear and how to act. This is a different example, uh -huh. not a kid one, yeah. but it's Sunday, it's football, right? A lot of us are watching. Yeah. So Deion Sanders, as many of you know, lost yesterday. Right. It was his first loss of the season. To Oregon. To Oregon, yeah. The biggest thing he said in his press conference is, I take ownership for the team. Right. It's my fault, starts at the top, and, you know, that shifts the blame from the players to the coaches and stuff like that. So it's that's an example of what you're saying, right. trying to take ownership of, you know, the loss. Um, so you can apply that to the kids and, and other examples. But that's an example that I thought of. Absolutely. Any other examples? Yes. Um, so yesterday we were, my husband and I were discussing... Um, like basically my husband was telling my daughter to do her homework and I'm like, is that the right approach? Shouldn't she take responsibility for managing her own time and doing her homework? So we were kind of debating, we we're like, and then, but then he was concerned, like, what if she doesn't do it? And he's like, I'm not, um, prepared to let her fail. Right. 
So he was taking a lot of responsibility. I'm like, give that responsibility to her. But he's like, I'm not ready for her to fail. So then we are at a standstill. Like, should we tell her to do her homework or should we not? Right. When is the right time to let our kids suffer the consequences of their own actions? It's a hard question and it's different. <laughs> Come on in. Failing forward. And it was a talk about the importance of failure and how failure teaches us way more than success does. And it really kind of hits home to me because I feel as Indian parents and, you know, even also children once, right? It's in our mind that, like, academic focus or making sure you're, you know, at the top of your game all the time. And I think that that, I don't think that helps our kids learn those lessons, you know? So maybe, yes, we want them to all have, you know, great, good grades, but are we hurting them in constantly pushing them to do that if that's not part of their own goals? And that we really have to let them fail because actually that probably teaches them more than always succeeding. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, as soon as my son has decided he, want to make, he wants to make some decisions for himself, I'm like, okay, every decision you make has a consequence. As long as you're willing to face the consequence, it's okay, try it out. If it doesn't work, do something different the next time. So, I mean, I wouldn't let my eight-year-old probably do that because I don't think she understands like action equals consequence, but after 10, 11, when they understand the relationship, I think we have to let them fail sometimes. So I talked to our pediatrician for my nine-year-old, same issue, right? Like they don't understand how to manage their stuff. And she's also a, a Desi pediatrician. So she's like, this is a Desi culture. Basically. You see in the white or other races, yes. they let their kids do what they want and they suffer the consequences. As a Desi parent, we always try to cocoon our kids and always worried like, oh, what if they fail or what if? Like you need to start giving him responsibility. Tell, explain them, okay, this is what will happen if you don't. If you don't get ready on time for school, you are walking to school and I'm not coming to drop you off. Even after she said that, it's hard as a parent for us to implement, but in reality, that would help. So we started doing like very small, small changes to his life, and I hope it works this school year. But yeah, it's just us as a culture also, we try to kind of protect our kids yeah. so much. And like she said, right? We are not letting them fail early on, and then when they get older and fail, it's very hard on them you know, like how the failure looks and what to do. And our culture, like we are so focused on the kids, we don't let them go. Even they want saying, right. like, okay, I want to take care of myself. We say, so, no, 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 no. If you're in front of us, we have to take care of you. And now they feel like, oh, we are, everything, we are making a decision yes. for them where yes. their parents are not when they go to school. So I'm like, okay, you can make a decision, but these are your choices and this is what will happen if you don't do it. So. Now my problem is, I think one of you guys said is, I am make the decision, see the consequences. My spouse is, nah, I want 100. <laughs> I want intersection. So now it's the child is poor, torn. Like, what should I do, daddy? Should I play with you or should I suffer the consequences? You <laughs> <laughs> suffer the consequences. One of the things that'll help us is if we realize the entire life is a gradual process of letting go. Before the child is born, everything is taken care of. Its shelter is taken care of. Its food is taken care of. Uh, all the needs are taken care of. 
the minute the child is born, that's the first step in letting go. Right? Because now the food is external, now the shelter is external, right? As the child learns to walk, that's another process of letting go. As the child learns to talk, that's another process of letting go. And it is a kind of a ramp of always letting go. So it's never like, when is the right age? Every age is the right age to let go of something until they're self-sufficient. And then, uh, of course, um, death is the final process of letting go, right? So it's the it's a, the entire spectrum of life is one gigantic process of letting go. So that is something that should help us when we're conflicted about <laughs> what is the right thing to do. It's we should have that end in mind about well, I'm the the goal is to let go entirely. Uh, so other things we can do to combat this victim mentality and this seduction of people telling us that it's not our fault is to have self-awareness. That is, understand your strengths and weaknesses that helps you make informed decisions. Uh, another thing you can do is goal setting. We do that all the time in this class. Hey, come on in. Uh, unfortunately, you guys are going to have to sit right yeah. next to me. Uh, so come on in, scoot up. Hey, come on in. Great to see you, man. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, we do a lot of goal setting in this class, and if you set goals, that, that that means somebody is not using you for their goals. You and you might not realize it, but a lot of people are using you for their goals all the time, unless you have a goal and you're striving towards it. Um, another uh, another way to combat this is to improve our uh, decision-making process and emotional intelligence. That is, these are skills you can learn. It's not something that uh, some people have them naturally, but the, if you don't, these are skills you can learn. Uh, take care of yourself and own your narrative. That is, own the story of your life. Uh, one epiphany that I had that I talk about all the time is what most people call a life is just a series of events that happen to their body. That's what you call your life. And that's not a life at all. Okay. What a life is, is the expression of your soul and how that interacts with the world. It's not the events that happen to your body. Okay. So questions or comments about anything we talked about so far. So, if you think about your life, it is not just happening since you've been born, and it's not going to end when you die. We have a very narrow view of what life is. In fact, the reality is you're a soul, and you've been through many births and deaths in the past and many births and deaths in the future. You'll go through many. And if you widen that scope, you'll slowly, and if you think about your life like that, You'll slowly start to believe your soul. One of the craziest things that happened was in this class when I asked how many people believe their soul. I'll ask it right now. Raise your hand if you believe you're a soul. Not many, few, more than I thought. Uh, once you believe your soul, you will make every decision differently. And one way to start believing your soul is to forget about what you call a life and worry about the journey that your soul has made. That's what I meant by that. Um, the ex expression of your soul and how it interacts with everything. It's not your body. 
identify with your soul instead. So one question, yeah. when you ask the question saying that whether you believe in soul or not. I mean, we, not in a soul, that you're a soul. Yeah, I'm a soul. Yeah. So, uh, like, we, like, born and brought up in India, so we understood that concept and all those things. When the entire world doesn't believe like that way. So, I mean, now I, I have questioned myself that when some people don't believe, some people believe. So, is it because we we were being trained like that way? That's why I'm thinking like that way, or is it really something like that? You know? No, uh, it's because it's the truth. I'm, the I'm, truth I'm, doesn't I'm, matter whether the world believes it or not. Something that is true is still true. It doesn't matter whether X amount of people believe it or Y amount of people don't believe it. Uh, the truth is always will always be the truth, and you can find out for yourself. One thing I noticed in our Indian culture, people know they are so, but they don't believe they are so. Yeah, that's right. You, he understood he's a soul. believe they are so, but they don't act at all. That's relevant to that. In fact, that actions are not as if they are so. Right. Once you believe your soul, you'll start changing every decision you make, and you'll start rearranging your life to accommodate that belief. And you're right. Most people don't believe their soul. And another problem is we always uh, think and see this is all in the past stories, nothing, no example friend of us, like a real soul or something, so it's kind of right. hard to digest. Okay. Yeah. So there's a movie called Ek Cheez Milegi Wonderful by the Pandit Maharaj. So that movie is actually based on that soul, like how to believe whether it is there or not. It's a very nice movie. Which one? Ek cheez milegi wonderful. It's our Pandit Naraj movie. So I have a comment about you mentioning that only we believe as a soul or not. I don't know how many of you have watched the kids movie that came out, Soul. That was only yes. based off of that. So it's not just our culture that believes in it. There are other groups too. And it was pretty popular movie in kids a couple of years ago. Okay. And I liked how that was solely based on the how the soul's journey is from how it moves around. So it was a pretty good movie for kids to understand that there's a soul. Okay, so now's a good time to go off script and uh, tell you that there are three pieces of evidence that the soul exists. Does anybody remember them? We have evidence that the soul exists and that you are one. Anybody remember them? Is it like that people, there are people that can describe a whole other life they once lived? Um, and they're here on, like, people have a memory of having lived another location They in this current life. Does that prove in some ways that you're not just this body, but you existed once before? That's right. That's one. Anybody else remember? From that movie, I know one thing. Yeah. That, uh, when, you, when you get born, right? Like, you're crying. So that crying is an expression. How do you get that? So that something was related to that. How do you? How does the crying prove that the soul exists? I mean, there's something from the past mm -hmm. which you know, and still you are caring for it. Mm -hmm. so oh, the reason you're crying, okay, uh, is because of your previous memories. Ah, very good. So one of the reasons is that the hard problem of consciousness exists. Okay, that is. How does matter give rise to consciousness? There is no ex current explanation. And as long as the problem is unsolved, well, we know the answer. The answer is your soul. 
that is your soul gives rise to consciousness and it's really quite interesting um, if you it's an interesting question if you were to somehow recreate a brain you know would it have a mind we don't know yet that is how does matter give rise to consciousness it is because of the application of the soul that's one piece of evidence that the soul exists another piece of evidence is that experienced meditators has have confirmed the characteristics we learn of as a soul that is the characteristics of a soul are infinite happiness infinite power infinite knowledge um, things like that and experienced meditators have tapped into that okay so that's another reason that we know that the soul exists uh, so great so perfect uh, time to reinforce those lessons so of course we spent 30 minutes talking and we haven't talked about Jainism once right well what does anything have anything that we talked about have to do with Jainism and applying it to your life well Jainism is if you're against this victim mentality Jainism is the religion for you because the concept of karma is the ultimate in personal responsibility and self-ownership. That is, everything that you experience in your life is your fault. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not that person over there's fault. It's not rich people's fault. It's not poor people's fault. The family that you're born in is your fault. <clears throat> the outcomes that you experience are your fault. And they're all related to things you have previously done. And you can change your life, change your future, by changing your actions now. <clears throat> and if you believe that, it encourages you to take self-responsibility for your life and your choices. <clears throat> How is karma responsible for the problems that you're going through right now? Well, it creates the conditions for whatever is going to happen. So whatever you did in your past life creates the conditions for whatever outcome is going to happen right now. Now, how you react to those conditions will create your future conditions. So you're responsible for everything. But what about your life? <laughs> You are responsible for your life. No, no, your life. What do you mean, my personal? <laughs> my personal life. Yeah. So uh, whatever I have done in my past life is... No, 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 not whatever. What is something you're experiencing now that has been influenced by your karma? Well, the fact that I'm in this class is... It gives me a chance for reflection and hopefully gives me a chance to change my life. And I think it has a little bit, for sure. And hopefully that's creating a better set of conditions for what can happen. It's all very abstract. And it would be better if you could point to a particular example of something that you've done and have it become a, have a particular outcome be associated with that action. And it's very hard to do, but you can do it. We know that all of our actions don't lead to consequences in future lives. Oh, some of our actions lead to consequences in this life. So I'll tell you something that happened to me. I wanted to prove it to myself. <laughs> and so I did. Uh, I had an epiphany. I stole something. And then something got stolen from me later. Now, you might say, well, that was a coincidence or whatever. You steal something and something could steal from you. That No, I had a definite feeling that the events were related. 
And you can do this too. It just takes a little bit of effort on your part. Just like there's evidence that the soul exists, there's evidence that karma exists, and you can prove it to yourself. How you do it is you spend a little bit of time each day wondering about the what happened to you during that day and try to associate it with previous actions that you might have committed. And if it's something totally random that happened to you and you can associate it with a particular action that you did earlier in your life, you will start to believe. And it's not easy. Uh, I can just give you one or two examples that happened to me in my life. So if you start now, you'll be lucky to get one. But boy, will your life change when you get it. I, I don't agree with that. If I want to relate like that, like if you steal something and something stolen from you, right. I don't relate with that. Okay. But how I relate it, like, like in my life, in my regular life, what you are asking me. Okay, so like material greediness or something okay to get something and something luxurious luxurious car to get luxurious car i'm putting so much effort myself or something and then for two i'm putting so much mistakes and i'm putting in trouble myself that way so that is i can consider as a karma sequence right whole karma sequence right if i don't make it myself greediness about that thing then i don't put myself in that trouble those kind of different troubles right so there's lots of ways you can do it there's lots of different types of karma and if you know about karma and how it affects your life and you examine your life which is hard okay it's easy for us to in here we have no kids you know we're in these four walls it's easy for us to say all these things once we go outside you're going to be thinking about what's for lunch what do i need to get my kids i need to get them ready for school tomorrow it's hard okay i'm not saying it's hard it's not hard it's hard it's hard to take time for yourself every day but if you take time for yourself every day you will prove to yourself your soul You'll prove to yourself that karma exists and you will start to be on the path to change your life. So, me and my parents, my father were discussing the same thing when I was in India and I was telling him about the same thing. Yeah, smart. what you're saying is like observing yourself and uh, in the near future, we are going a little bit longer, like 30, 40 years span, right? So. I was observing, like I was telling him, like I was observing my uncle's life, right? How he separated from his parents, how he treated his parents and all. And now how he is being treated by his kids, right? Then I was looking at another uncle who used to take care of his parents and all. And now how his kids are taking care of his parents. So I'm like, this is a pretty clear picture of karma working. With the interest in them. That's great. That's it's a it's a little bit easier to see it in other people, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit harder to get that feeling inside of yourself. Yeah. When so there's pros and cons. <laughs> there are some contradictions as well. Like it's not always you know. They come in. Someone took care of their parents, but their kids. Yeah. Oh, you gotta sit here, man. You gotta sit here. We'll get the door here. How the people, even if they are away, how we are treating, that's also matter. 
how the parents are suffering that also and stereotypes which are away but they don't take care of their parents they still like talk to them treat them well and all so but those are but those are many parameters i'm not looking at just staying away i'm just looking at how the overall how the parents are overall happy with their kid and nice treatments and all the person may not realize now later but he would realize something so that is a one good thing about good karmas people realize at least later it's a lot harder with good uh, but if you certainly can have yourself open because a lot of times we feel like good uh, is <clears throat> are good things that happen are the result of our effort instead of the result of our karma another concept of jainism that will help you avoid this victim mentality is detachment um if you can practice detachment you won't let people trick you into doing what they want to do and of course we believe that arihants and siddhas have no attachment or hatred and they cannot give anything to anybody they cannot give you um uh the kind of effort that you need to be responsible for your own actions only you can be responsible for your own actions uh, another concept in jainism is self-reliance or self-effort or purusha i think it's called right is that uh you emphasize self-discovery and self-realization and believe it or not another concept of jainism that helps us combat this is ahimsa that is if you encourage individuals to take responsibility for the himsa that happens in their life and avoid harming themselves and others then that will help you take control of your life so if you practice himsa you're practicing taking control of your life for example if you um uh, if you avoid uh high traffic areas if you avoid killing insects if you avoid doing that you start to realize that you have agency okay and uh, that might not be a problem for all of us but for some of us we don't realize we're still stuck in that not a child mode but we're still stuck in a mode where we feel like we don't have agency over our lives jainism of course places of strong emphasis on self discipline and self reflection and so those are all concepts that help us avoid the it's not your fault message questions or comments about any of that no i have a comment uh -huh. on um, on the karma theory mm -hmm. so again i believe in karma but you know like realistically we don't know it exists so i started believing couple of years back is fake it till it make it so i started believing in it is my bad karma is happening so one thing i'm a big proponent of i stop lying right for no reason like you know i stop lying if somebody calls me what you doing yes doing the closing big deals for no reason it's not going to benefit anybody still i was lying right and i stopped lying and i made my life so much easy the quality of life for myself right so um and i don't know if it has something to do with karma but i started believing that if i stop lying that is not adding bad karma to myself right right um, which is not benefiting anybody but actually harming me mm -hmm. um so um but i don't know again i still struggle sometimes you know doing wrong things still believing that i am a soul 
and karma is going to come and bite me still you know i don't know if it's a discipline or what it just you know do i do wrong things that right. I sh- knowingly i do it knowing that i'm going to build karma into it mm-hmm. but um you know i consciously you know what i'm saying right. that is the problem you know unconsciously you do it you don't know you can blame it to somebody else but knowingly you do it you have nobody to blame have you ever been in a situation you're like you're eating something unhealthy and you're like i know this is bad for me exactly. and then you're like why am i doing this what this is bad for me i shouldn't be doing this and it's like there's no there's no connection between what you're thinking and what you're doing and this happened the next day after panjoshan somebody offered me samosa and i know and krish talked to me about this lakshan 10 days and i'm like oh my god and i couldn't stop I'm like knowing I should not be doing this. Right, yeah. In 8 days I did not do it. Mm-hmm. I did fast, I did ekasana, vyasana whatever. The next day, boom, I'm back to normal. Yeah. We have to build safeguards in our life to stop that from happening to make a stop and take pause. And um at at first it starts out as signs like a physical sign on the refrigerator that will help us, you know, it's automatic our hand goes to the fridge, open it, we don't even think about doing that. Right. But then the sign makes us stop and think and then we're like we like try to let go right and so the so it starts out physically and then it becomes it's just a physical manifestation of mindfulness right and then once you're in a mindful state then you're like then the connection is there like it's kind of like a circuit breaker that stops your body from doing things that it's used to doing even while your mind is telling you something else i was just going to comment that you know what example you gave <laughs> We see that in medicine all the time and Neil and I can relate to what we see with our patients. We have these new devices available called sensors, glucose sensors. And previously didn't have that. And we use these sensors in patients that are at risk for diabetes but don't necessarily have it yet. And what feedback it gives them. It's like when you're saying the example of the cake, right? You're eating it now, you know, okay, down the line it's going to hurt you, but you're not seeing it happen as you're doing it. so that you can't you don't make that connection similar to karma right you know like right. shouldn't do this but you're like yeah I'll deal with it when it happens later exactly right? and i mean what we've seen in patients is when you have a sensor you're getting instant information as you're eating that cake you're seeing oh my blood sugar numbers are going up mm-hmm. and so that kind of is a reminder mm-hmm. to you like maybe i shouldn't eat this so mm-hmm. in the same way i think with mindfulness that's like our sensor it reminds us like maybe We need a karma meter. Right? I know. <laughs> the problem is that it's invisible. You have, we have to make it visible. For me, whenever I think that I should not eat, so let's say if I think that I won't eat more than two times today, if I just think like that, it's very hard to do that. But the trick that has worked for me is that if I take the pachkhan, like let's say if I just do best that i'm only going to eat two times it's very easy to implement then i don't eat yeah because then i instantly that think that if i eat the third time it will attach the bacteria mm-hmm. so because i'm breaking that vow right so uh, without taking a vow it is very hard just to do self control so taking a vow is very important i think if you have to have that kind of self control Mm. I think it's like goes to like control the mindset and also I, like when you are doing diet and you're like okay I'm I'm dieting but if you have like a journal or app where you're writing it down and you know okay my calorie goal is say 1200 
And if I'm getting like close to that and I really want to eat ice cream at night and if I see it like, yeah, it's coming close to it, I'm like, okay, you know what? I really don't need it. I'll skip it. So anything like if you're more disciplined, you're more controlled. If you write it down somewhere or you have a rule like, okay, every Friday I won't do this. It's just small, small controls or discipline in your life also help you. Like they say that you make a budget weekly and right. weekly, same way, start journaling, you will know the, your daily activities and you will know what you are doing. It's kind of hard to stop completely, right? We are not like that. So I guess taking a baby steps, like, okay, one day I won't do this or this day I won't do it. Or only certain days, so many times in the month I'll go out. But just small things like that. I'm glad that, yeah, sorry. I, no problem. I wanted to just make a comment about the concept of detachment. We are attached to our families. We're attached to the temple. We're attached to our jobs. All of the culture and grain forces us to be attached to these things. How do you uh, practically, uh, you know, um, Detach. have that kind of way of life, the detached way of life? I know in medicine, you know, Sonali mentioned, uh, when we see patients, they actually teach us to see patients with a detached point of view. You don't have emotionality when you see somebody so that you can step back and look at the picture <laughs> object. Um, how do you practically do that in real life and personal life? So just wanted to ask, what are some good examples or good ways to, to do this? How can we help Neil? Last session, last year, we had a whole session on this detest. Sure, it's in the book too, but he doesn't want to look in the book. He wants us to help him. <laughs> you are told whatever you are doing it for yourself, and everyone is their own soul. Whatever they are doing is for their own self, even if they are kids. Don't think about that. You know how much attention I think the question is like how we can help everybody here. So nobody has an answer. I don't think that's only his. No, no, but again, you know, there are answers. Yeah, I just want to know if you guys know them. <laughs> so again, that's a generalized question. But the way I, I used to tell myself, and I still tell myself, affirmation. I'm not money motivated, right? Because when I came to US, any any deal, any client, whatever, for money, a dollar more, I would do it. Couple of years back, I started telling myself affirmation. You know, I'm not money motivated. Then I did a small radio talk show, talked about it, talked to a bunch of friends, talked to clients that I'm not money motivated. I'll help you. I don't want anything in return. So that helped me detach myself from the money aspect of it. That was my problem. <laughs> is I wouldn't talk to you if there's no money involved. You know what? <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time. But now. That is how I started detaching myself. I tell every day, every morning I tell myself, this today, I'm not money motivated. Really is it because now we have enough money, that's why you're not motivated? <laughs> that detachment doesn't come that's when you don't have money. When you have enough money, then you think about detaching it from it, right? Actually, it's, uh, I believed it other way around. The more I got, the more I wanted. And the more I got, the more I want it. So at one point of time, that greed becomes saturated and then you will detach yourself. Before but that didn't happen. Yeah. It so became more and more greedy. Correct. <laughs> but everyone, you know, yeah. I have seen many people in life, they become spiritual, 
एटसेट्रा 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 ओनली आफ्टर सर्टन पॉइंट इन दर लाइफ वेन दे आर स्ट्रगलिंग टू मेक मनी और टू मेक समथिंग इन द लाइफ दे विल नॉट थिंक अबाउट इज आइडियोलॉजी आई एग्री ओनली दे विल टॉक अबाउट आइडियोलॉजी आइडियोलिस्टिक अप्रोच when they are done with everything in their life yeah. and i think i think that applies to everyone yeah that applies to everyone that right. yes and that's why if you know that when people in 30s they say oh you have to work right when it is 40s no they said that okay but suddenly i have changed now because you settled down by 40 42 correct correct so, so people start changing just because everybody does it doesn't mean it's right <laughs> there are poor people that are happy and happier than you will ever be there are poor people and uh people that don't have as much as you do that are much happier with their circumstances it doesn't have to be that way and neil the answer to your question is there are many many ways to practice detachment in your life and i'll tell you one way because you raised your hand and you said you believed your soul so one way to do that is to remember since you believe you're a soul This life is a very brief opportunity for you to do a tremendous amount of nirdra. You can't do nirdra when you're in a uh, animal form. You can't even do that much nirdra when you're a heavenly or hellish being even though you see they have all these powers. They don't have the ability to take vows. So they don't have the ability to do as much nirdra as you can right now in whatever time you have left. So since you believe you're a soul then you believe that this is a tremendous opportunity for you to do nirdra and then all the other things that you're talking about the volume is turned down on them when you and your wife get in an argument the volume's turned down on that because you see the big picture when your kids having trouble at school the volume's turned down on that because you see the big picture now what you were describing is really advanced attachment. I believe that you are not attached to material things. That's what I would recommend to everybody is to start with is to reduce your attachment to spiritual things. But I know he's asking a question about advanced attachment. That is your family, this Jane Center, your friends, and you realize that all that doesn't matter in comparison for this brief opportunity that you have. and why not take advantage of it because your life isn't this life it's not this body that you're experiencing it's the innumerable lives that you've already lived and you didn't take advantage of this moment it's the innumerable lives you're going to live and you're not going to take advantage of this moment and once you realize that that will help you detach from the things that are hardest to detach from and this class has never been about telling you what's easy This class is only about telling you the truth. And the truth is that you are enslaved. You're enslaved by your family, you're enslaved by your friends, you're enslaved by this Jane Center. And you have to break free of that. And it's hard. And I'm not saying I'm better than you because I'm sitting here right now. The only thing I can do is to show you that there is such a thing as a path. And the only thing we can do is to help each other walk along that path. But it's you that must take each step. I cannot take the step for you. And we cannot take the steps for each other. We can only pick each other up when we're down and we can only help each other back on the path when we straighten the path. 
I'm glad that you brought up you stopped lying. This is your yearly reminder that if you had worked on your anger the last year that I told you, you would have no anger in your life right now. It will take you less than a year to get rid of all the anger in your life. The four enemies we're working on are anger, ego, deceit, and greed. The easiest one to get rid of, they're in that order for a reason. The easiest one to get rid of is anger. If you haven't gotten rid of your anger yet, I told you last year, I'm telling you this year. You can get rid, rid of it in one year. And again, I uh, open my challenge up to anybody is to give me any scenario where anger is not directed at the self. That is, oh, why are you hiding back there? I can't see you. All anger is directed at the self, okay? Can anybody give me any scenario where they got angry and it wasn't directed at yourself? Open challenge. Nobody has defeated me yet. Yeah, anger affects only yourself. It's all directed at yourself. No, of course it affects only yourself. But it's when you get angry, you get angry at yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. 11.30. Yep. That's right. Because anger is the mismatch between reality and expectations. And reality is never going to change. And so whenever you get angry, you're always getting angry at yourself. And that is the, if once you come to realize that, you'll start to eliminate anger from your life. Let's say you don't even care. Let's say you don't believe you're a soul. You don't believe in Jainism. You're here because your kids are out there and you're bored and you got nothing to do. Well, you certainly understand that getting angry reduces the quality of your life. I'm telling you, even if you don't believe in an afterlife or anything, I'm telling you, you can increase the quality of your lives by eliminating the anger from your life. I've seen people do it. Okay, this is not something that is not achievable. You can do it by this time next year. I'm going to give you a reminder next year that you should have done it by now. Yeah. I'm new here. Can you give me some strategies? <laughs> strategies on reducing anger. Can anybody help her out? I take a deep breath when I'm like about to explode. <laughs> give myself two seconds. Then explode. <laughs> <laughs> deep breath and count, start counting reverse. <laughs> Ten. Then nine. So but that is momentarily when you control what happens to the, all the thoughts which you build up during that time. Can you give us an example so we can give you some concrete steps to take? When was the last time you got angry? This, this, this always comes down to my kids. Right, it always comes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because you suffer the consequences of their actions. If they make a mess, you have to clean it up. Not them have to. It would be a lot less, you get a lot less angry if they cleaned up their messes. But tell me what happened. Okay, so... Very realistic. Um, my kids know that they have to brush every night. Um, so I just want them to do it. Like, why should I have to tell them to brush their teeth? They already know that. Right. So then when they don't do it, I get angry. Right. Or when, and then even if my husband tells them to brush their teeth, I get mad at him. Like, why did you tell them? Right. Like, they, we shouldn't have to tell them. But you knew they were going to do it, though. Brush or not brush? Yeah, you knew they weren't going to brush it. If you don't, we didn't. We didn't wait until they went to sleep. Like we don't know whether they were going to brush or not, right? Right. But 
Also, but we, you knew there was a possibility. There was a possibility. Well, I don't know. My, we never let it get that far that they don't brush. Yeah. <laughs> so we never let them fail. See, this is what it always comes down to. We don't wait for them to fall asleep and see that, oh, they didn't brush. Right. We never let it get that far. And I think that's where me and my husband struggle. Like, I want them to fail to figure out what's good, what, why, what happened. They failed and the consequence of failing. But... I get, I think the anger was more towards my husband. He's like, he told them to brush. And I said, don't tell them to brush. The anger was directed at yourself. Okay. Because you knew it was a possibility that they wouldn't brush. And mm -hmm. you got angry. You got angry at yourself for not realizing it was a possibility. And you directed that anger. You used, I, I don't know what you did, whatever. You might have raised your voice or something like that. But that anger, you were mad at yourself because you forgot that there was a possibility that they didn't brush. And you could have dealt with the situation without being angry. And it helps to eliminate, reduce your anger when you realize that the anger is directed at yourself. Uh, you look like you don't believe me. So... <laughs> okay, because the expectations were set. Like, my kids had know that they have to brush. They but you knew that there was a reality that they wouldn't do it, even though they knew they had to. But you knew that there was a reality that there was a world in which they did not brush. You just forgot about it. And then you got angry at yourself for forgetting about it. There was a world that exists where they knew they had to brush their teeth and they didn't brush their teeth anyway. That's why you got mad at yourself. Because you forgot that possibility existed. And then when you got mad, you're like, you should have, I forgot that this was an outcome that could have happened. And you got angry at yourself because you forgot that it was an outcome that could have happened. And then when reality hit you in the face and that, and that outcome that you forgot about happened, you got angry at yourself. Other scenarios. So actually, when you say that expectation, I know in this we how to really follow the journey, but Every relationship we build is based on the expectation, right? If I don't have expectations with someone, then I don't know whether even I'll build a relationship. I mean, that it doesn't have to be. I mean, it doesn't have to I be. Mean, this one sure. Yeah, we all live in this world. But it will benefit you to reduce the covert contracts in your life. Does anybody remember what a covert contract is? If this, if that, but you don't necessarily come out and say it, but it's in your mind. That's right. It's a deal you make with somebody else, but you don't tell them about the deal, okay? Let's say your wife comes home and sees you sitting on the couch, and you've been, you had a free two hours, and you were doing what you wanted for two hours. And she comes home, and she sees that the dishes are still in the sink. And she says, oh, why didn't you do the dishes? And you said, I didn't know you want me to do the dishes. And she said, if it was me, I would have done the dishes if I had a free two hours. So she set up a covert contract with you without telling you about it. And they got mad at you because you broke your end of the deal, right? It happens the other way around too. No, it happens with gentlemen, right? You take, uh, you take your date out for a nice dinner and you know you want sex at the end of the date. Well, I took you out for a nice dinner. I paid you these compliments. I did this and this. I made a deal with you about what would happen later tonight and I got mad at you because you broke your end of the deal that I didn't even tell you about the deal. 
okay? Happens both ways, right? So you got to eliminate the covert contracts in your life where you feel like, oh, I, I'm in this life. I have expectations about everybody. It doesn't have to be that way. Questions or comments about anything we talked about today? But what if the... It's not over. Like, everybody knows the expectations, and then somebody breaks it. And that's why you got men. But you knew that just because somebody knows about a contract doesn't mean they, 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 they have a possibility of breaking it, right? You know, you know that people break promises, yeah. right? You just don't like it when they I break promises. So because you forgot about that people can break promises, you got angry at yourself that this outcome occurred, and you got angry at yourself because they violated their uh, deal with you, even if it was over. Can I make one comment here? Um, the, there is a stress management academy that has a section on anger management. It was actually put together by some of the Jane Center folks. Um, for those of you who attended the diabetes seminar, we actually had a stress management uh, component to it. And so um, highly encourage you guys to pick it out. It's actually free. It's you know put together, it has a lot of great videos and techniques. Because a lot of our anger is due to stress, right? And so if you could deal with the underlying stress, then sometimes the anger may dissipate as well. So that's just a nice tool. And it's actually- um, Can you share the links? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's uh, I've checked it out, it's quite good. Thank you so much for your time today. I know all of our kids are coming out soon. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.